2015 World Series. Maybe you're reading the review of the Royals Championship this week on KansasCity.com or catching the replays on Fox Sports Kansas City. Game 5 is tonight, by the way. On Sportsbeat KC, the Stars Daily Sports Podcast, we're going to remember it today, Thursday, May 21st, with some of the writers who covered every game of the postseason in 2014 and 2015. Star columnists Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian are here, and so is Andy McCullough, the primary Royals beat writer for the Star in those years. Andy now covers baseball as a senior writer for The Athletic, and he'll bring you up to date on his career early in the conversation. It was a wonderful time for the Royals, and we had a blast covering those games, as I think you'll hear. So here's Andy, Sam, Vahe, and me, Blair Kirkhoff, on those Royals. And make sure to stick around to the end to hear Andy's press box adventure on the night of Game 5 in New York. Here we go. Andy, it is great to talk to you again. Glad to have you back. Tell us what you're doing now. We know that you're working for The Athletic. But you're not covering baseball on a daily basis. Take us through what you're doing now. I don't know what it is I'm doing. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm trying to stay employed, like like everyone at this point. Um, you know, I'm. I guess my technical job is I'm a national writer for the Athletic, um, and so I just you know um, try and find interesting stories about baseball that Ken Rosenthal hasn't already broken. Um, <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's good. I mean, I you know, it's it's great to finally have colleagues I respect. Uh, unlike, <laughs> no, uh, no. I mean, I I just you know, I try. I've been just trying to write interesting stories about baseball. It's you know, uh, it's been a pretty fun uh, job. You know, so far, I mean, you know, being based out in L.A., I still write uh, a good chunk of stuff about the Dodgers and things like that. But uh, I've had to found myself. Uh, you know, more than once during the pandemic, kind of looking back on things that happened with the Royals and, and writing about them, because I think, you know, those those teams from uh, 14 and 15, when I was fortunate enough to be covering the team for the star, were, you know, the most interesting teams I was ev- I've ever been around. And uh, I, I doubt I will be around teams that are, you know, more fun than than those guys were on a, on a day to day basis. And so, uh, you know, yeah, do, doing uh, doing a lot of trips down memory lane these days, a lot, a lot of remembering <laughs> guys professionally. And podcasts about yeah. uh, remembering baseball <laughs> and World Series. So, um, yeah, so great segue. So thanks for uh, setting that up for us. And uh, so we are here to talk about the, the 2015 World Series run for the Royals and Look, it's uh, it's it's not even been five years. I mean, if we were waiting for the five year anniversary, we'd wait until October. But the <laughs> pandemic has made nope. us do do strange things, and and so in in May we are we're talking uh, we're remembering the 2015 run by the Royals, which as as I look back on, and I'm watching some of the the um, the games on on uh, Fox Sports Kansas City here, and I, I just am reminded of as you said, just what an you know, an amazing run it was for the entire two years, but especially the 15 run that um, uh, how, how improbable today it seems that a team that didn't hit with a ton of power, that didn't pitch with a lot, starting pitching anyway, wasn't as, you know, fear, fearsome or probably, you know, the heck they turned over their start, their rotation from, from 14 to 15 practically, but how that team managed to get it done and in 15, get it done in a way that, they were never. They weren't pushed to a deciding game in either the the ALCS or the World Series. Andy, when you look back on it, what, but um, what is it? What was it about these Royals teams that that made them what they were? 
you know, it's it's a question that gets um, – honestly, it becomes tougher and tougher to say that the further you get away from it because like if you look at like the baseball reference or whatever, things like that, you're like, yeah, that seems like a you know good team. Yeah, they, they had a lot of good players and a lot of guys had some good seasons. But like being around them every day, I felt palpably that they were the best team in baseball that year I, I i would i felt like there was not a team in baseball who they could not beat in a seven game series they should be the favorite in every seven game series because of the brand of baseball they played right like they did things they they played a style and they played to that style pretty much close to perfection i mean they they didn't strike out a lot they caught the baseball um, they ran very effectively. They had lots of different guys who could run. They could go first to third. They um, had some really, really effective hitters in Ben Zobrist and Lorenzo Kane. Their pitching staff, their starting rotation was underrated, and their bullpen was tremendous. Um, you know, it's it's weird. I mean, they were not a super team in the way that we have super teams now just several years later. And I think the landscape of the sport has shifted so much that, that so many more teams are tanking uh, in 2019 and 2020 than they were in 2014 and 2015. But, um, you know, they, they played to their style of baseball as well as you could. And, uh, it's just, but they are also at the same time, totally anachronistic, like complete, like it feels like another lifetime ago in terms of how the sport is played, uh, you know, in 2019. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough question to answer. I'm curious what you guys think. What say you, Sam Vahe? Well, uh, I don't, no team has challenged my stance that chemistry is overrated more than that team <laughs> as well. Uh, there really was. I mean, and, and some of that, I think, is what, Andy, what you were just talking about with they, they had a brand, they had a style, and, and they played to that. And there's a certain chemistry in that as well. And, and you know, sort of all buying into the same thing. Um, you know, the, were they last in the league in home runs? In fourteen, I think in fourteen they were in fourteen. Okay. Sure, and you know, and it's just, it was just such a like, in some ways, just like a middle finger to how the <laughs> game was being played, and you know, gosh dang it, if they didn't pull it off, and and you know, there was a one thing that that really sticks out to me is um, uh, there were a lot of people that was calling the Royals lucky, and and you know that it was all like bloopers and. Uh, you know, little flare hits that turn into eight run rallies and stuff like that. Uh, but <laughs> they took advantage of that stuff. And, and that was sort of their styles to do that. And, um, you know, that I, I remember Dayton specifically, and there were other guys in that front office as well, but I remember Dayton specifically just getting so irate at, he must've read something or heard something with somebody specifically calling them lucky and calling it a fluke. And I just, he said something like, oh, I guess that trophy's a fluke. I guess that trophy that we have just doesn't exist. It's just magic. It's made up. You know? And they, they started to take it pretty personally, which I think was part of the charm. You know, similar to what you guys are saying. I mean, it's funny. The, the parts were pretty good, right? But they were still better than some of their parts. And it, 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 to your point, Sam, about chemistry, like, you know, we've certainly seen Teams have what you might think of as great chemistry that, that aren't any good and vice versa. Teams with no chemistry that win and despise each other. Um, but there was something particular about this energy. And I think that has something to do somehow with that the knack for the comeback that this team had. I mean, there was some kind of 
culture there that that made six, seven hits in a row possible when you're down four runs in the eighth. Um, I I don't think that stuff was fluky. It's sort of like uh, the point you made about Dayton. I guess you know all those hits were a figment of somebody's imagination too. So I I, I think that that was the thing that defines that team for me. And you know beyond that, thinking about the comebacks within each game, but also how the whole the team was made up of its essence really was uh, a lot of guys who had had um, for lack of better term adversity, whether it was, you know, Alex Gordon having to have his position changed or Mustakas being sent down or Chris Young and others with the Kendris Morales with debilitating injuries. These were a lot of guys who'd been through some things. And I think that was part of their gateway to where they went. Yeah. I mean, everyone on that, I mean, basically all of their star players outside of maybe Jordano Ventura had kind of been given up on at various points in their careers. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a little strong for Hosmer and Kane, but, you know, like, um, you know, you're right. I mean, Mustakas, Edison Volquez comes to mind as a guy who, you know, was more or less a, you know, a retread a few years before. I mean, Jeremy Guthrie was a guy who had been, you know, basically cast aside by the sport in some ways. I mean, uh, you know, Luke Hochevar was, you know, someone who was considered essentially a, you know, is that how you pronounce his name, by the way? Is it Hochever? No. Where have I yeah. been? That was great. I like, I actually reverted to like covering the Mets in 2010, <laughs> being like, "Man, what are the Royals doing with Luke Hochevar?" It's not it's like I wasn't around the guy for two years. Anyway, um, what was the French the French pronunciation <laughs> you were using? Yeah, that's his that's his alter ego who became a starter. Uh, anyway, I um, we just go with Hoch. Hoch, yeah, yeah. There's just there's. I can't believe I did that. There's a lot of guys, though, you're right, who like had had stuff taken away from them. And I, I, I do think the combination of the chemistry and also the st- their style was meant to exploit mistakes. The entire point of the Royals was that baseball was difficult and that if you make a mistake, they're going to make you pay for it. And they continuously did that. I mean, they played teams. They got a good draw in the Mets because the Mets couldn't really catch the baseball. And they found a way to, whenever someone on the Mets sort of botched a fielding play, all of a sudden three runs were home and they had won the game. And I think that that is, on the one hand, yeah, it's good luck, but it's also you know building a, a, a team that understands what its strengths are and knowing how to take advantage of them. The Mets also had the power arms uh, in the rotation and, and the Royals weren't a strikeout team. They right. weren't a swing yeah. and miss. Yeah. They weren't a swing and miss team. So, you know, you'd Harvard get two strikes on, you know, on Morales or Kane or, or whoever, and the Royals would end up putting the ball in play yep. and you know, putting some pressure on the defense. That's, I don't, uh, I, I think that was a pretty underrated you know, aspect of, of of Royals baseball in those years was just the, um, the 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 aggressiveness with which they not only you know they ran ran the bases but also in the bat, batter's box and that that served them pretty well. Yeah, and this can't be. We've already mentioned it, but I don't think it can be emphasized enough about that bullpen because I, I remember going up through 2014, like before the the playoffs started, and and just kind of you know everybody did this right. You think about like how the teams built. And you're just like, my God, with those guys at the back end, uh, you know, this this would be this should be a better postseason team than they are in the regular season, just because you know those guys would be able to pitch every night. And you know, if you're tied, you're winning. Um, you know, in the seventh inning or later with those guys, and, uh, and they were even better, I think, than than anybody could have imagined. 
yeah, I remember after the wild card game in 2014, just kind of sitting in the press box, you know, we're all just sort of like exhausted or whatever. And I was kind of just thinking like, wait a minute, they're not going to lose. Yeah. Like, like, you know, they're going to beat the, they're going to beat the angels. Like, and yeah, it kind of played out that way where their back end was so effective that if they're, you know, if they scratch together a couple runs, like they were, they were in a good spot. Did you really feel that way? I mean, they, they go up against. I know we're going back to 2014 mm-hmm. and leaving the World Series for a moment, but I, I think you have to take the Royals in their entirety here, 14 and 15. But yeah. you know, they, they they win the wild card game and then they go play the team with the best record in the American League in, in the uh, in the Angels, and you know have to go there. Um, I, to me, it was the outfield defense that freaked out the Angels mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. that series, and they couldn't couldn't get anything you know d- down in the outfield because of. Plays by Aoki, Aoki and, and Dyson, and I mean it was crazy. And, and Lorenzo Cain uh, diving all over the place. So I, I just thought yeah. that set the tone. Cutest as it might be with Aoki. Yeah, I <laughs> just a blindfolded catch for the <laughs> Angels. That was crazy. For some reason, I was looking through old tweets and I saw one that said like, uh, "Imagine Nori Aoki trying to get out of a maze," and uh, <laughs> and, that just, and that like really brightened my day. Just thinking about that image. I mean, yeah, like that. They had, I mean, their strengths matched up really well with what, you know, um, the Angels were kind of doing. The Angels were a team that kind of, that didn't have, that had good hitters, but didn't have a lot of uh, home run power. And so they were going to be kind of putting balls in play and the Royals could run down a lot of them, you know? Um, Yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) it was, it was a good draw. I mean, their, their weakness, if they had one, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm sure they had weaknesses, but their biggest weakness was this uh, was against like left-handed starting starters, and uh, outside of one from San Francisco and Dallas Keuchel, <laughs> they didn't really run into a ton of those over those two years. No, no, they didn't. Um, and the other thing, and maybe this this goes a little overlooked, is that Royals lineup went you know it went right, right, left, right, left, you know, switch right, left. They, they you couldn't. It really didn't matter who who they were facing, and you're right. Bumgarner obviously shut him down in, uh, several times in in the World Series. But I did, there was some there was some really nice balance to that lineup. So much balance that you know you got Escobar hitting leadoff and Gordon and Rios hitting eight and nine in in uh, in fifteen. So you've got you know a guy who how how, how often did did Escobar hit leadoff in his Royals career? You know, was it the last couple of months of fourteen and then? And then the playoff runs of fourteen and fifteen. That that was hilarious, by the way. Like the the best part was Ned just basically telling Andy, like, I don't know why it works. <laughs> like, I, I understand it shouldn't work. This is not what, this is not what should be happening. But watch. Yeah, there was there was a game I remember. It was in I want to say it was in Chicago, and uh, you know they've been going through this will they or won't they thing with moving Esky back to the leadoff spot because you know by all accounts like either Alex Gordon or Ben Zobris should be leading off. It's crazy to do anything else. And Ned was just like he'd been like he'd been flirting with it for a couple of days. You could tell like he wanted to put Esky back there. And uh, and that night they played the White Sox and they've been going kind of uh, rough for a little while and they won the game because Eric Hosmer hit a home run in like the 10th inning or something and afterwards Ned's like this is why we got to have Esky in the leadoff spot <laughs> and I was just like Ned you won because Haas hit a home run he's like no nah, no nah, see Andy you don't understand and I was just like okay like 
So here, like, just so you know, Royals fans, the best team of your generation is going to have its worst hitter leading off, getting more <laughs> bats than everyone else in the postseason. Hope you're ready. And by God, it worked. <laughs> Crazy how it worked. It was the was the ALCS MVP in 15. So let's let's go back to the World Series in 15. So the the Royals go in. Uh, d- so did you get a sense that this was the Royals World Series to to, to lose? Or I, I, I was looking at some of the national commentary, and it was kind of a toss-up. I, I think the, if you were in the East, you'd be thought the Mets would win. Anywhere else, the Royals would win. But I, I just the way the Mets had won the NLCS, they had swept the Cubs, never trailed in the four yeah. games. I, I thought I thought the Royals might be in trouble going up against the Mets, but I apparently I didn't watch enough Mets baseball that year to fully under uh, understand and appreciate just – Kind of how vulnerable the Mets could be, and the Royals took advantage of it pretty, you know, pretty, pretty early. Yeah, I mean, I just I thought they were going to win in five or six because of the 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 strength of the Mets was right-handed arms, and that was just something the the Royals did not struggle with. Um, that you know they could pretty easily solve right-handed uh, pitchers, and right. that's more or less what they did. And then there was also the the defense factor for the Mets, which proved you know huge and uh, <laughs> later in the series. Bless his uh, heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> future future royal. Yeah, uh, that's right. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners: unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars' award winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important please visit kansascity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Runner at third, one out. Broken back. Cut off by right. Out, throw home. What a tie game! Unbelievable base running by Eric Hosmer. What about um, uh, the game one in, in the World Series goes 14 innings. Alex Gordon hits the home run in the ninth inning off of Familia. And um, I suppose if there was, you know, if there was a defining moment of the series, it was it was that it was the ninth inning home run that tied the game. I, I don't know if I'd felt any differently if the Mets had gone on to win that game, but it was certainly a critical moment. And we're. Um, in fact, next week we're unveiling the top 25 moments in Kansas City sports history, and the Gordon home run will find a prominent position in that um, on that list. And and Sam, I know you're working on a a, um, a feature that uh, has the um, the top 50 influential. How we, how would we describe it? What it is? The top 50 most influential people in Kansas City sports history. And sports do, history. Yeah, do not try to do this at home. This has been like I've been, Oh no. God dang it. Oh no. <laughs> ready for this thing to just post and <laughs> never think about it again. Good grief. But but I was gonna say that the 1415 Royals are 
pretty well represented on uh, on this list, are they not? They are. I mean, I I feel like that group. I mean, they just they they changed Kansas City's relationship with baseball. Um, and and look, I know I know we're doing this show ostensibly about the 2015 World Series, but just um, it's important to remember just how terrible and irrelevant and often incompetent the Royals were before before this period of time. And it just, it became like sort of the background noise in Kansas City about, you know, yeah, they got a major league baseball team, you know, they got uniforms and everything, right? Like the, they'll play and, and whatever, but just don't get your hopes up, you know? And every once in a while, they'll have a fluky team that goes 83 and 79 in 2003 and people still remember, <laughs> you know, just a mediocre group like that. And, and this group, um, and I think they had to be like this, but they were just brash you know what i mean they, they felt like they could do anything they um uh, you know they got under opponent's skin especially in 2015 uh you know benches cleared like <laughs> every other tuesday it seemed like and uh but I, I feel like they had to be like that because if you know look maybe this is just like projecting but you know being in kansas city and around that team in some of the worst years it felt like it was just people expected to lose. They just knew they didn't have much of a chance. And they needed a group, I believe, that sort of looked at that as an opportunity. And and that was Hosmer and Moustakas at the top that just, you know, sort of, oh, okay, you guys haven't won here. Well, this is going to be great when we do it. And and when they busted through, it was all sort of emotions and, you know, bat flips and chest pounding and all that stuff. And um, I, I just, I think the whole thing needed that sort of attitude. You know, um, just a couple of weeks ago, Vahe and I had a chance to spend, what, about an hour on the phone with Ned Yost uh, at his Georgia farm. And uh, that was, it was a delightful conversation. Andy, how many times have you talked to Ned? In the, yeah. have, you been, have you caught up with him here in the last few months? Uh, I spoke to him in, uh, in early April, yeah. yeah. Wasn't there some Tiger King stuff, Andy? Uh, yeah, he hadn't watched it though. So I was, you know, he didn't, he didn't seem like his life was all that different in the pandemic. He was on the farm. <laughs> That's true. Um, but how did, um, how did Ned come out of these two years? I mean, all what, I, you know, what I remember about the Ned narrative was they, they somehow beat the angels and all of a sudden you got the dunce going against the genius in the ALCS with the, you know, so with the good. Orioles. The Wall Street with, you know, Journal with, called him a dunce. In a headline. <laughs> that was yeah. great. Oh, man. He's a, and he's only the winningest manager in postseason baseball history. <laughs> I, I think – I think uh, Ned did some things that were uh, uh, inefficient uh, managerially, <laughs> I think would be the way to describe it. Uh, at the same time, he also, you know, like, I think he trusted the players. for. Like, he didn't put his players in positions to fail all that often. I will say that. I, you do see guys set their players up for failure and, and ask too much of them and ask them to do things that maybe they shouldn't be. And he didn't do that all too often. There, there were uh, – like he had more um, – what would it be – uh, less sort of reactionary uh, issues tactically. It was more like, why is your lineup like this? You know, like type <laughs> of stuff. But there was very rarely, there were not too many games. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm like misremembering it, but especially in 2015, there were very few games where I was like, what in the world is Ned doing? 
Um, and, and that's something that if you watch the postseason almost every year now, right, you see managers do stuff where you're like, what in the – like, why is he doing that? And with Ned, it was more – I mean, they were kind of a push-button club in some ways, you know, bullpen-wise. And so he trusted those guys. He – you know, they did a really good job of – I think he and Dave Island, the one thing that they deserve a lot of credit for was how they basically kept the bullpen – uh, from breaking down in 2015, they kept Wade Davis, who was kind of mm-hmm. nursing an elbow thing all year. Um, they kept him healthy and ready to go in multiple innings in the postseason. And so I think that's something that, that, that they really excelled at and were ahead of the curve on, uh, you know, and how bullpens will be used in the postseason. But yeah, I mean, Ned goes from a guy who, when, you know, when I got to Kansas City in, you know, January of 2014, like people just wanted to know when they were going to fire him. You know, I was like, when is this guy getting fired? Like, we need a new manager in here. And I was like, well, you know, he has some issues with lineup construction, but, you know, he's funny. And, like, I enjoy, like, <laughs> fighting with him every day. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, and then, you know, they might put a statue out front of Kauffman Stadium of him, you know, these like in, in 10, 15 years. So it, it's a, a remarkable turnaround for sure. And Vahe, yeah, yeah. I just remember the uh, the conversation ahead. we had where where he did where, where you did live with some of Ned's not mistakes, but he lived with the mistakes of his young players early in their careers, and something that served him well later on. Yeah, I think Blair, that you know, and, and you, you and Sam probably can attest to that, you know, more uh, uh, with more detail in some ways, having been here when a lot of that was going on. But but I I do think that uh, over time the idea of going ahead and playing Escobar through things and, you know, things like that, you know, I mean, look, the guy was the yeah. uh, AL, AL championship series MVP for crying out loud. And, and uh, so what if he couldn't, you know, get a bat on the ball uh, in, his, in his first two years? I mean, surely there was some, you know, relationship between priming the pump and getting to that moment. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, Ned's stubbornness was probably a big part of, um, his success, right? Sometimes it probably blinded him. And Andy, I seem to remember, I think it, along the lines of the point you just made, it, I think more often in 14 and 15, you would feel uh, surprised at his inability to be more flexible, actually. Like, like why isn't he going to go ahead and let Wade pitch two innings or right. you know, things like that? Yeah. Um, but at a certain point, he just became a, a real creature of habit. And uh, I think <laughs> of um, – Perhaps uh, I don't know of, of, of symbolism, right? With the the silly Escobar leadoff stuff, but uh, there was some some kind of uh, mojo to Ned in the end. And by the way, I just want to throw in I, I really I really enjoyed the bickering between Andy and Ned all the time. I mean, it was really fun to watch. Uh, yeah. Especially especially in the postseason when it went to the next level, I thought. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my, yeah, was was favorite. my favorite would be when he would be at the podium and I would raise my hand and he would just start <laughs> answering my question before I'd even given it. Because it was like invariably like about the roster. Just like I didn't care. Like I just needed to fill, you know, fill out my notebook. Like I didn't care if the first question was like, so why is Christian Cologne on the roster? Uh, you know, and it, he would just be like, I'd raise my hand. and He'd be like, Andy, we took Jason Nix because he can play multiple <laughs> positions. All right. And look, he was usually right, wasn't he? Was it, he was like Radar O'Reilly and Colonel Potter. Yeah. 
And then the next week she'll be like, Ned, this is the first time Kansas City's had postseason baseball since 1985. What does it mean to the city? You know? (laughs) Ned, who'd been in the city since, you know, 25 years. Right. Uh, um, So, all right. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, Zobris. Let, you know, left the Royals, became the World Series MVP for the Cubs in 16. Has any other Royals, the only Royals left from that t- from the 15 team are Salvador Perez, Alex Gordon, Danny Duffy, and and Greg Holland, if he's, you know, if he makes the team, and I, I suspect he will, especially if the rosters go to 50. But um, but any anybody else who, still in baseball, who did anybody else go to a World Series or have, I don't know, a, a better season for themselves after leaving the Royals. And, you know, I, I think of Kane and Moose and, and Hosmer and Wade Davis and some of the guys that we, you know, who, who were huge for the Royals in 14 and 15, especially 15. But did anybody go on to have a better season than what they did in, you know, for the Royals in 15? Uh, the one guy who comes to mind is Liam Hendricks. Uh, Liam Hendricks, who was, there you go. Uh, pitched briefly for the team in 14. 14 and uh, now is sort of the best closer in baseball. Um, but yeah, I, I'd forgotten he was with, I forgot he was with the Royals just for, just for like a half a season or a cup of coffee. Yeah. And 14, but yep. yeah, I mean, um, you know, Ryan Madsen had a, had another, uh, had a run with the Dodgers, uh, that, uh, you know, where he was a, a useful reliever, but yeah, I mean, not not a yeah not a ton of guys come to mind. Uh, Billy Butler's career with the A's didn't go great. Um, yeah, no, no. I just I, you, we talk about a chemistry and yeah. you know every it just they, they I don't know it's cliche to say they made each other better, but it just worked well. It worked well, and um, and it was a you know it was just an, an incredible run. I don't know if this Royals the Royals 2015 World Championship team will be looked. Looked at as you know one of the great teams of, of baseball. I doubt you know, I doubt it. Um, but it was it was different. And it was fun. Yeah, and it was a little unusual. And they were they were damn good for three weeks in October of of twenty fifteen. Andy, we can't let you go without um, reliving that moment in the press box. <laughs> <laughs> little little behind the scenes, game five. Um, <laughs> Uh, becoming apparent that the Royals are going to win the game. I, I think I've got the timing of this right. Um, no, it was it was the, when the, it was in the um, it was in the tenth inning when the game went to the tenth okay. inning. Uh, yep. Okay, so we don't know. So it's it's still yeah right. No, so it's still no, two two. It's way more problematic. <laughs> Take uh, us through that. No, I would Take actually trip down memory lane. I would prefer to hear Sam and and Vahe's version of this. Uh, <laughs> Vahe's because it'll be the truth, and Sam's because it'll. Uh, <laughs> Make me look the worst. <laughs> All right. Well, let me start. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just remember him just dog cussing his computer. <laughs> just MF bomb followed by F bomb followed by MF bomb. Just, and I remember him saying, like, you know, not just MF in the computer, but MF in himself, you know, uh, <laughs> all this stuff. And I just, Really, really losing it, and uh, and I. So wait a second. Let me let me interrupt. Why would that be? Oh, we didn't get to that. Yeah. Well, his computer fried. My uh, my, my I looked up 
and every word in my <laughs> game story, and I'd written, you know, uh, my game stories were like, you know, like Tolstoy and, or, you know, in their length, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, my, 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 every game story of mine was longer than a speech in an Anne Rand novel. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I looked up and every word in my gamer had become an asterisk. Every single word had become an asterisk. <laughs> And I couldn't, I, yeah. And I just started to have like a, it was like the 10th inning and I just started to have a meltdown. Yeah. I, I remember I felt a little bit like, like a counselor or something. I remember like, I'm not a touchy person, but I, I, I put my hand like on your shoulder and yeah. I'm just like, come on, buddy. Uh, come on, buddy. Just, and you're like, it's, it's all, you know, like, I was like, wow. Okay. Well, look, uh, the sixth inning, that's a section. Do that right now. You can do that. Just calm down. The, the, the eighth inning, like that's a section. And, and it, the best part though, was like in the middle of all this ranting, because <laughs> I don't know if the Royals, like somebody just struck out or whatever, but, um, you know, there's this other writer in the press where he just shouts over and he goes, calm down. It's just a game, pal. <laughs> Uh, Uh, i want to i I started to say this but i'm going to validate sam's uh version oh no and uh that's how i remember it i think i might have dared go down into the into the uh line and then it was quickly rebuffed um my, my suggestion was probably even uh even more inflammatory like We'll just start with the first sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I I do want to say this, and maybe this is a a little bit of a parallel to covering that team. Andy had quite a comeback. And uh, that I I would point out Andy's uh, eventual final game story to to anybody on earth who wants to see what what the consummate perfect game story on the most meaningful moment in decades is. It was it was unbelievably good. Yeah, I, pre- well, I appreciate it, that. It, it reappeared at some point, right? I mean, the, the the typed words did reappear somehow. Did, no, who got it? No, I yeah, mean, no, he he over. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I mean, I I give all the. I mean, honestly, like you know, it's as much as it pains me to do this. I give all the credit in the world to Sam for for talking <laughs> me through it because he he really did. He was like, "All right, buddy. Well, you know, okay. So Matt Harvey was in this game, but now he's not." <laughs> Um, maybe you can write a little bit about how how that happened, you know. And uh, you know, you should, you know, yeah, you should do a little bit on that. And then, hey, guess what? They tied it. You know, maybe maybe you can do like some play by play on on what happened during that play. And uh, I I also remember uh, at some point. Uh, Chris Fickett, our intrepid sports editor who was there, kind of came down and was like, hey, uh, what's going on here? And I was like, we're all – like, we're, it's all it's, it's all effed. Like, we can't do it. You know, the story's gone. Tell Fannin that, like, he's not going to have it for the front. We got to get something else on the front. And, uh, you know, just total panic or whatever. And Chris went back and called Mike, the, you know, the exec editor, and basically told him, like, yeah, so uh, Andy's in some trouble. And Mike uh, told him in no unharsh terms that uh, I needed to produce that story or, you know, we, we were all going to be in some trouble. And Chris uh, very smartly did not communicate that message. Uh, so I was working. I was actually working under the pretense where it's like, it's fine. They got Got to figure it out. Just get it all back together, and you'll be fine. You don't need to hit deadline. You, 
you'll be all right. And uh, luckily, I was unaware that there was they were having a meltdown on the other end, uh, waiting for my gamers. So, uh, yeah, man, it was that was a good one. That was a good I, I would one. add this, you know, like a lot of people may or may not remember that that game went twelve innings. Uh, it's good that it went twelve and not ten. <laughs> that was that was productive time. Oh man, yeah. I mean, that the tenth and eleventh inning. I mean, God bless Luke Hochevar for his you know spoiler <laughs> work because that's how that's how we got there. Is you know is is the Royals just like blanked them for a couple innings and they and by the time like the twelfth rolled around, like I pretty much had it almost all up and running again. So. Uh, but yeah, that was not a fun like hour. That was that was not a fun hour for sure. Glad I was in the auxiliary press box down in the outfield uh, <laughs> in the outfield at that time. So. All right. Well, hey Andy, it's been it's been great catching up with you. I appreciate you spending some time with us. Always, uh, it's always fun to hear from Vahe. And Sam and Sam, uh, we had to bleep you out a little earlier. So <laughs> yeah, thanks for um, doing that. But <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> let me just let me just say you can you can talk that trash on Melinger minutes for your ears, but on Sportsbeat KC, pal, you better come clean. <laughs> I, I did a good job I, with the F and the MF the first round, and then I just <laughs> lost it there then for you, a second. Then, then, it, then it got real. <laughs> Ah, Mellinger Minute for the Ears. Uh. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. Great talking to you. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. See you, That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A tip of the cap to Sam Mellinger, Vahe Gregorian, and our old friend Andy McCullough, who's doing terrific work for The Athletic. We'll link to his latest story in the show notes and also our coverage of the Royals World Series review. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass offer. It still stands. It's still a good one. 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage, and that includes the Sports Extra on the E-Edition. Here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports, news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus extra pages of news, sports, and business coverage. The details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. Whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting, the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.